Michael Vanen, and welcome to Second Breakfast Discussing Middle-Earth. Hobbits were our topic from last week, as we discussed their origins, the three original Hobbit races, all about the Shire, their lifestyles, and even some notable Hobbits. It was definitely more of a light-hearted topic, and a lovely break from some of the more serious and or darker topics that we've discussed so far. However, this week we are going to the other side of the happy scale, and we're going to be talking about the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. I've wanted to cover the battles of Middle-earth for a while, and thought long about which one I wanted to share first. Eh, actually no I didn't. I knew I'd start with my favorite one, the Nirnaeth Arnoidiad, which translated means the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. As I'm sure you can tell, it wasn't a wonderful battle, nor was it a battle that the forces of good won. It can be found told in the Silmarillion, but in much more depth in the Children of Hurin. I have spoken on this battle in the episode of the podcast on Melkor, but now we can go into a lot more depth. First, let me lay down the setting for you to give you some context. We are in the first age of Middle-earth, in the land of Beleriand, which existed west of the Blue Mountains before it was sunk under the ocean at the end of the first age. This was the fifth major battle in the war of that time, which was called the War of the Great Jewels, meaning the Silmarils. Twenty years before the Battle of Unnumbered Tears was the Battle of Sudden Flame, or the Dagor Bragolak, in which Morgoth was greatly victorious and pushed back his enemies out of the north, turning the war from the defense of Angband to a heavy offense on the rest of Beleriand. The elves and men were left to defend their realms, and no great offense was formed, many believing it hopeless to challenge Morgoth again. Yet hope was not completely lost, and it was the deeds of Baron and Luthien that relit the people of Middle-earth's courage against Morgoth. On their quest, Baron and Luthien made great strides against the Dark Powers, including defeating Sauron for a time, infiltrating Angband, and stealing a Silmaril though it was lost to the werewolf Karkaroth. This gave the elf Meadros hope that Morgoth was still defeatable. He was one of the sons of Fëanor, the crafter of the Silmarils. He knew that Morgoth would destroy the people of Middle-earth one by one if they would not unite, so at once he began forming an alliance against Morgoth which would be called the Union of Meadros. He united three elven realms, his own elves from Himring, the elves in Hithlum led by Fingon, and some of the elves in Nargothrond led by Gwyndor. Many of the Edain, who were the men of Beleriand, joined the alliance too, namely the Edain of Dor Lomin led by the brothers Hurin and Huror, and the Edain of Brethil led by Haldir. The dwarves of Belagost and Nogrod in the Blue Mountains also lent their aid to the Union, namely in forging weapons, but also with an army. Some of Círdan's elves from the coast, called the Falathrim, also came to the fight, but only two came from Doriath, Beleg Strongbow and Mablong. And finally, we have the Easterlings, men who came from the east of the Blue Mountains. Some of these Easterlings were under the command of Meadros, while others kept under command of one of their own named Ulfang. Turgon of Gondolin 
did not lend his strength to the Union, for his realm was kept secret from the world. Doriath did not lend their strength, for its king Thingol swore to never fight alongside Fionorians, and Nargothrond did not send their full strength due to the deeds of Meodros' brothers, which indirectly led to his own brother's death during the Battle of Sudden Flame. So there's the context. The Union of Meodros was formed with elves, men, and dwarves, and they would march against Morgoth and Angband. Now, let's get to the battle plan. The Union was divided into two forces, the Eastern and Western Armies. The Eastern Army, the greater of the two, but only slightly, was led by Meodros, and was comprised of his elves and the rest of his brothers still alive, as well as the Easterlings and the dwarves of Belagost and Nogrod. The Western Army was commanded by Fingon, the High King of the Noldor at the time. It was comprised of his elves from Hithlum, the Edain of Dor Loman and Brethel, a contingent of elves from Nargothrond, some of the Falathrim, and the two elves from Doriath. The plan was, on midsummer, the eastern army would march straight to Angband across the plain in front of the fortress. They would challenge the might of Angband and draw them into the field. And when their forces were engaged, a beacon would be shot high into the air as a signal, and the western army would come from the west and outflank Morgoth's army, crushing them on two sides. However, as the Union advanced north through Beleriand, destroying the orcs as they went, Morgoth was alerted to the formation of the Union, mainly with the use of spies, and had time to plan and counter the Union when they reached the Anfalglyph, the plain in front of Angband. When Midsummer had come, all was set in place, on both sides. Meodros was ready in the east, and Fingon was ready in the west, hidden from Morgoth. And on Midsummer's morning, Meodros raised his banners, and the eastern army marched against Morgoth. Fingon could see the dust and glint of steel from the west, but also saw the smoke rising from Thangorodrim, the volcano rising above Angband. For a moment, he lost hope, until the army of Gondolin, led by Turgon himself, arrived. They were sent to guard the southern passes of the river Syrian. To Fingon, all seemed to be going according to plan, but that was not the case. Morgoth's spies had infiltrated the Union of Meodros and had already told Morgoth their battle plan. Thus, he had already engaged Meodros' forces and sent another force against the West Army, hoping to keep the two armies from ever joining. However, this force was only a decoy. When the Western Army saw their enemies approach, they grew impatient and wished to meet them in the battle. But the man Hurin advised Fingon to wait for the signal. For he said, The strength of Morgoth was always greater than it seemed, and his purpose other than he revealed. So the forces laid waiting. However, the captain of Morgoth in the west was charged with luring the western army by whatever means necessary, and thus he brought forth an elf named Gelmir, who was the brother of Gwyndor that led the company from Nargothrond. Gelmir was captured during the previous battle, the Battle of Sudden Flame, and that was the reason why Gwyndor and his company joined the Union in the first place. The captain taunted the Western army by hacking off Gelmir's hands, feet, and lastly his head, threatening the same to happen to all of their prisoners in Angband. 
and his threats worked. Here is what is written in the Children of Hurin of what occurred after Gelmir's death. By ill chance at that point, in the outposts stood Gwyndor, son of Gulin, with many folk of Nargothrond. And indeed, he had marched to war with such strength as he could gather, because of his grief for the taking of his brother. Now his wrath was like a flame, and he leapt forth upon horseback, and many riders with him, and they pursued the heralds of Angband and slew them, and all the folk of Nargothrond followed after, and they drove on deep into the ranks of Angband. And seeing this, the host of the Noldor was set on fire, and Fingon put on his white helm, and sounded his trumpets, and all his host leapt forth from the hills in sudden onslaught. The light of the drawing of the swords of the Noldor was like a fire in a field of reeds, and so fell and swift was their onset that almost the designs of Morgoth went astray. Before the decoying army that he had sent west could be strengthened, it was swept away and destroyed, and the banners of Fingon passed over the Anfauglyph and were raised before the walls of Angband. Ever in the forefront of that battle went Gwyndor and the folk of Nargothrond, and even now they could not be restrained, and they burst through the outer gates and slew the guards within the very courts of Angband. And Morgoth trembled upon his deep throne, hearing them beat upon his doors. But Gwyndor was trapped there, and taken alive and his folk slain, for Fingon could not come to his aid. By many secret doors in Thangorodrim, Morgoth let forth his main strength that he had held in waiting, and Fingon was beaten back with great loss from the walls of Angband. Thus, the decoy army had worked, not in the way Morgoth expected, but it did. The western army was now in the plain fighting Morgoth, while many of the elves of Nargothrond led by Gwyndor were slain. Fingon's forces retreated from Angband, most of the men of Brethil, including their lord Haldir were slain, and the orcs surrounded the western army. That is, until they heard the horns of Turgon, who, leading the host of Gondolin, came to their aid from the south. They rushed into battle and turned the tide back in their favor. Turgon met with his brother Fingon and Hurin, and it is said their meeting was glad in the midst of the battle. And while they fought, they heard at last the trumpets of Maedros from the east. The Silmarillion says that the Eldar might have won that day had all their hosts proved faithful. Because, as I've said, Morgoth sent out many spies in an effort to counter the Union of Maedros. Through deceit and promise of reward, he turned the Easterlings, led by Ulfang and his sons, to his side. Before the two armies could unite, Morgoth emptied Angband, sending out all his orcs, wolves, wolf riders, the Balrogs, and the dragons, including Glaurung. He sent Glaurung, the father of dragons, against Maedros' army, and he wrought untold havoc. And it was here that the Easterlings from the rear of the Eastern army turned on Maedros and begun slaying the elves and fellow Easterlings who were still allied with the Union. Ulfang called upon more men he held in secret to reinforce them, and they pushed against Maedros himself. They were surrounded on three sides, and the Eastern army broke. But before all was lost, Ulfang and his sons who led the treachery were killed. And though all the sons of Fionor were wounded, 
They gathered the remnants of their elves and the dwarves around them, and they fought to escape the battle. All that remained of the eastern army were the dwarves of Belagost who challenged Glaurung, the dragon. I will read from the Silmarillion of their attack against the dragon. Last of all the eastern force to stand firm were the dwarves of Belagost, and thus they won renown. For the Naugrim withstood fire more heartily than either elves or men, and it was their custom, moreover, to wear great masks in battle, hideous to look upon, and those stood them in good stead against the dragons. And but for them, Glaurung and his brood would have withered all that was left of the Noldor. But the Naugrim made a circle about him when he assailed them, and even his mighty armor was not foolproof against the blows of their great axes. And when in his rage Glaurung turned and struck down Azagal, lord of Belagost, and crawled over him, with his last stroke Azagal drove a knife into his belly and so wounded him that he fled the field, and the beast of Angband in dismay followed after him. Then the dwarves raised up the body of Azagal and bore it away, and with slow steps they walked behind singing a dirge in deep voices, as it were a funeral pomp in their country, and gave no heed more to their foes, and none dared to stay them. Now, skipping over back to the children of Hurin, but having routed Meodros in the east, Morgoth had now great forces to spare, and before Fingon and Turgon could come to the shelter of the hills, they were assailed by a tide of foes thrice greater than all the force that was left to them. Gothmog, High Captain of Angband was come, and he drove a dark wedge between the elven hosts, surrounding King Fingon and thrusting Turgon and Hurin aside towards the Fen of Serik. Then he turned upon Fingon. That was a grim meeting. At last Fingon stood alone with his guard dead about him, and he fought with Gothmog until a Balrog came behind him and cast a thong of steel round him. Then Gothmog hewed him with his black axe, and a white flame sprang up from the helm of Fangon as it was cloven. Thus fell the king of the Noldor, and they beat him into the dust with their maces, and his banner, blue and silver, they trod into the mire of his blood. With King Fangon and his forces now destroyed, all that stood was the men of Dor Lomen, led by Hurin and Huor, and the forces of Gondolin led by Turgon. Hurin and Huor told their friend Turgon to escape the battle with his forces while there was still time, because as long as Gondolin's strength survived and remained hidden, there remained hope against Morgoth. Turgon did as requested, and they retreated back to Gondolin, while Hurin and Huror guarded their retreat so that Morgoth's forces could not follow them. Lastly, I will read from the children of Hurin of the last stand of the men of Dorloman and the last stand of Hurin. But the brothers drew the remnant of the mighty men of the house of Hador about them, and foot by foot they withdrew, until they came behind the fen of Serik and had the stream of Rivel before them. There they stood and gave way no more. Then all the hosts of Angband swarmed against them, and they bridged the stream with their dead, and encircled the remnant of Hithlum as a gathering tide about a rock. There, 
As the sun westered and the shadows of the arid Withrin grew dark, Huor fell pierced with a venomed arrow in the eye, and all the valiant men of Hador were slain about him in a heap, and the orcs hewed their heads and piled them as a mound of gold in the sunset. Last of all, Hurin stood alone. Then he cast aside his shield and seized the axe of an orc captain and wheeled it two-handed, and it is sung that the axe smoked in the black blood of the troll guard of Gothmog until it withered, and each time that he slew, Hurin cried aloud, Day shall come again. Seventy times he uttered that cry, but they took him at last alive, by the command of Morgoth, who thought thus to do him more evil than by death. Therefore, the orcs grappled Hurin with their hands, which clung to him still, though he hewed off their arms, and ever their numbers were renewed till he fell buried beneath them. Then Gothmog bound him and dragged him to Angband with mockery. Thus ended the Nirnaeth Arnoidiad, as the sun went down beyond the sea. Night fell in Hithlum, and there was a great storm of wind out of the west. Well, now we can see why it's named the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. It is such a tragic loss. After many years of hopelessness against Morgoth, an alliance between men, dwarves, and multiple kingdoms of elves formed and marched into the very courts of Angband, only to be defeated with Morgoth's last push and the treachery of men. Perhaps if all of Nargothrond and Doriath lent their aid in the battle, things would have ended different. But unfortunately it was not so. The king of the Noldor Fingon, the lord of Brethil Haldir, a lord of Dor Loman Huor, the lord of Belagost Azagal, were slain. The sons of Fionor were wounded and scattered, and the lord of Dor Loman Hurin was captured and cursed by Morgoth. The curse affected Hurin's children, Turin and Nienor, following them through their tales. The orcs pushed south into Beleriand, destroying all free kingdoms to the very borders of Doriath, securing Morgoth's foothold in Beleriand once more. Only Turgon truly stood in his way, and thus fear remained in his heart. But Gondolin too would face Morgoth's might. And as it turns out, it would take the intervention of the Valar themselves for Morgoth to finally be defeated. But that is a battle for another episode. Well, that's it. My favorite battle in Middle-earth. The reason why is just the sheer magnificence of the battle and all who took part. The Edain were stronger and nobler than the Gondorians and Rohirrim from who they descended as were the elves of the First Age. The Union of Maedros fought against Balrogs, dragons, and all of Morgoth's evil creatures. It was a battle that makes the Battle of Pelennor Fields and Return of the King look like a bar fight. To compare, there were just over 100,000 orcs in the Battle of Pelennor Fields and Return of the King against the roughly 15,000 men of Gondor and Rohan. While in the Nirnaeth Arnoidiad, there were around 400,000 orcs, and the 100,000 in the Union of Maedros. I got these facts from lordoftheringswikia.com, but did not check the sources that it cited. But in any regard, it was vastly larger in all ways, and all the more cataclysmic. 
Imagine if Sauron's forces defeated Gondor and Rohan and destroyed Minas Tirith. Who would have been left to contest him? That's exactly what happened with Beleriand. None was left to defeat Morgoth. And like I said, the Valar had to send a host to Middle-earth to see it done. Next week, we will be discussing the Ainulindale, the music of the Ainur, which is the grand metaphor of creation according to Middle-earth lore. Farewell.